0: You. Um, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the goodness found in your word, and then we can come together and hear it preached. Uh, we ask that you be with Tom now as he speaks, Lord. Give, us, give him words of wisdom, I ask, Lord, um, and give us ears to hear what he has to say, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Nine years ago, eight years ago, 2013, something happened to me that really cut me up. My parents didn't let me get a PlayStation. My best friend had a PlayStation and he'd talk to all my other friends at school who had PlayStations and they'd talk about PlayStations and I wasn't allowed one. But circumstances changed into my favor when the school ball came along and I was a bit of a shy, a shy fellow back then. I didn't want to ask any girls to the ball. So I thought, Oh no, I don't want to go to the ball. But my parents thought that it'd be good for Tom to go to the ball, have fun with his friends. So they said, okay, Tom, if you go to the ball and go with your sister's friend, then we'll let you get a PlayStation. So I was like, sweet, I'll go. Done, easy. So I went to the ball, and I actually had a pretty good time at the school ball. And then I came home, and then the next couple of days, I was on the internet looking at PlayStations. And my parents came up to me and said, you know what, Tom? We think that it's best if you don't get a PlayStation. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I felt pretty ripped off at that. Um, At that, uh, I felt like we'd made an agreement, and then when it came time for my parents to honour their side of the agreement, it all turned bad. So as we preach through our passage this morning, um, Lord willing, you guys will come to a realisation that we have a God who does keep His promises and does keep His agreement, and hopefully you guys will be struck with awe at this God. And as we go through the passage in Second Samuel chapter 7, we're gonna, I'm going to split it into four sections. The first section is houses and covenants. The second section is the past promises. The third section is the future fulfillment. And the fourth section is our present response. So let's open to Second Samuel chapter 7. Before we read the passage, I'm just going to give a bit of background context to where we're up to. So the past year or so, our church has been going through the books of First and Second Samuel. And we saw in 1 Samuel that the people wanted a king so that they can be like the other nations. And God said, fine, find yourself a king. So King Saul rose to power. And then as he was rising to power and becoming more influential and people were following him, there's this other character, David, that comes along. And he contrasts Saul. Where Saul should be the one who fights Goliath, David fights Goliath. David leads military campaigns. Where Saul is vengeful, David is forgiving. Especially even when Saul is trying to kill him, David doesn't want to kill Saul. And we see more and more that David is God's type of king and Saul is man's type of king. And eventually God takes the throne away from Saul and gives it to David. And then David wants to honour the Lord, and as Mikey preached a couple years ago, uh, a couple <laughs> weeks ago, um, he brought the Ark of the Covenant, the manifestation of God on the earth, and he brought it up to Jerusalem so that there can be a central place of worship of the Lord. And this is where we get to in Second Samuel chapter seven. So, let, so read along with me, verses one to seventeen. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from his all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? Have I, not, I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with the people of Iz- with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from a pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I'll make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I'll appoint a place for my people Israel, and I'll plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I'll give you rest from your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that we can trust your word, that it is true. God, I pray that as I speak to these people, that it would not be my message that they hear, Lord, but your message that you want to tell them through me, God. Thank you again for your word, um, and the surety that we have with that. I pray for open hearts this morning, and in your name, Amen. The section one houses and covenants. So we see in the story, David is sitting in his house, this beautiful palace made of wood, and he looks up the hill and he sees the tent sitting there, and he just thinks, "Nah, something's not right here, eh? He's sitting in a beautiful house, whereas his God." Is sitting in the tent. So he thinks, oh, I'll make God a house. I'll build a temple. However, God has other plans, and he appears to Nathan the prophet that night. And he says, He says in verse 5 here, as a question, Would you build me a house to dwell in? But he's actually saying, You will not build me a house to dwell in. And we see that in the parallel passage in Chronicles, that it's a rhetorical question demanding a negative answer. So God's saying, You. You're not going to build me a house. And then in 11, verse 11, he says that the Lord will make you a house. And in verse 13, that the son of David or the offspring of David will make God a house. So to break it down, David says, Lord, I'm going to make your house. And then God says, no, I'm going to make you a house. And then he also says, and your son's going to make me a house. So we've got this play on words with the word house here. And we've got two different meanings. So when David wants to make God a house, he's talking about a temple. However, when the Lord says that he's going to make David a house, he's talking about a house as in like the house of David, like the, a dynasty, which is like a succession of kings from the same family. So God says, I'm going to make a succession of kings and your son is going to build me a temple or your offspring is going to build me a temple. And the thing about... Or, so, this, so we get two things. So firstly, David, or the son of David, is going to build God a temple. And we're going to leave that here. And we'll pick that up when we get to First Kings eventually, as we see Solomon building a temple. But secondly, we've got God building David a house. And we're going to pick that up in about 15 minutes again. And in our passage from verses 9 to 16, we have some of the most crucial verses in the book of Samuel. Some say that it's even the most crucial verses in the Old Testament. And if I just preach from these verses and say it how it is here, we're not going to have anywhere near of the understanding that we need to understand how is this the most like important thing in the Old Testament? It's like it is a regular passage. However, I'm going to take you on a journey, and we're going to go back and look at the past, why the past influences these verses. And then we're going to slingshot into the future and see how the future influences these verses. And then we'll come to an understanding. And hopefully, if the journey that we go on is anything like the journey that I've had in the past few weeks as I've been studying, you'll be overwhelmed in awe of God and his wise plan. We need some essential tools before we go. This is known as the Davidic covenant. Fancy words. You guys listen to my fancy words and I promise to explain the fancy words. Davidic covenant. Davidic means to do with David and covenant means a promise or agreement. So we have a promise or agreement to do with David. And the Davidic covenant is an unconditional covenant. So there's two types of covenants, an unconditional covenant and a conditional covenant. So to explain this, a conditional covenant has conditions. For example, maybe you said to your kids before, If you don't fight with your siblings, I'll buy you ice cream. This is a conditional covenant. The key words are, if you. If you don't fight with your siblings, then I'll buy you ice cream. On the condition that they don't fight with their siblings, you buy them ice cream. If they do fight with with their siblings, the covenant is broken and you don't have to buy them ice cream. Make sense? Secondly, we have an unconditional covenant. An unconditional covenant might be like, you say to your child, I will buy you ice cream. Unconditional covenant. Key words for an unconditional covenant is I will. There are no conditions. No matter what your child does, you said that you're going to buy them ice cream, so you must buy them ice cream. If you don't buy them ice cream, you're a covenant breaker. So now that we have that understanding of an unconditional covenant and a conditional covenant, let's get into the text. So if you follow with me, halfway through verse nine, we see three things here. God says, I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. Verse 10 and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they will dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And jump down to verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come for your body. And these three things, these three promises might remind you of some other promises that we've encountered with. In the Bible, so if you turn back with me to Genesis chapter twelve, this is really cool, and this is our first point: is the past promises. This is the first time that we encounter Abraham in the Bible. So God has sent a flood, destroyed the earth, started again with the family of Noah. The earth has been repopulated, and then there's this random guy called Abraham in the land of Babylon, and God says this. Let's read Genesis chapter twelve, verse one to three. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And jump down to verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I'll give this land. See the connections? We've got, a great name, we've got a land for the people of Israel and we've got an offspring or a seed. And this is known as the Abrahamic covenant. Abrahamic means to do with Abraham and covenant means an agreement or a promise. So an agreement or a promise to do with Abraham. Now, is this covenant unconditional or conditional? Let's have a look at the key words. Verse two, and I will make of you a great nation And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 7. And to your offspring, I will give this land. And in chapter 13, verse 16, he says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring or seed can be counted. This is an unconditional covenant, right? God is saying, I will buy you ice cream. But instead he's saying, I will promise you three things, land, seed, and blessing. Way to remember it is LSB, kind of like the drug LSD, but (laughs) no, it works. You guys are all going to remember it now, I promise. (laughs) LSB, land, seed, and blessing. The land is the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, the promised land. All names for the same thing. And why do you think it's called the promised land? From the Abrahamic covenant. So it's the land. The seed is the offspring that God promises that Abraham will have a great name and that um, there'll be countless offspring or seed of Abraham. And finally, blessing. God promises that um, Abraham's great name will be a blessing to the nations of the earth. We have land, seed, and blessing. LSB. And remember... Because this is an unconditional covenant, the only way it can be broken is if God doesn't keep his covenant. If God doesn't give the people of Abraham land, seed and blessing, then God's a covenant breaker. But God is not a covenant breaker. So we will see this promise fulfilled. So as you read the Old Testament, it is important to be looking for these promises and how are they going to be fulfilled? And that's the question that you get if you're reading the Old Testament. So now we have one more stop in our journey on our way back to 2 Samuel 7. So if you turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 19. Just a few pages over. And Moses has just led the people of Israel out of Egypt and they're before Mount Sinai. And Moses is about to go up and get the Ten Commandments from God. In fact, he's going to get 613 different commandments that the people of Israel are to obey and to follow in the promised land. So God is speaking to Moses, who is representing the people of Israel, in Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. God says this, Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, this is what's called the Mosaic Covenant, and it has nothing to do with sticking broken tiles onto a wall. The Mosaic Covenant is called the Mosaic Covenant because mosaic means to do with Moses, and covenant means a promise or an agreement. So a promise or an agreement to do with Moses. And in fact, it's really to do with Israel. And this question has finally been answered. How is God going to bless the people of the earth Through Abraham, it is through his seed, through his offspring, the nation of Israel, that they're going to be a kingdom of priests. They're going to be intermediaries between God and people, or the other people of the earth. Intermediaries is like a middleman. So the people of Israel are going to show the people of the earth God's glory through their holiness as a kingdom of priests, as they're called here. And all they need to do is keep God's commandments and obey his law. Easy, right? Now, I think you guys know what happens next. So the people go to the land of Israel. They go into the promised land and it goes downhill. And if you read the book of Judges, you see the sinfulness and debauchery that the people get into. We've got murders. We've got building idols. We've got um, sacrificing pagan gods, marrying foreign women. We've got rape. We've got all sorts going, cutting people up and sending it all over the place. It just gets terrible. So the covenant is broken because as we can see this is a conditional covenant the key word in verse five is if you if you need if you indeed obey my voice and you keep my covenant you shall be my treasured possession the people didn't obey his voice so they are no longer his treasured possession so this mosaic covenant is broken so as we come to second samuel chapter seven We still have that question in our minds. How is this Abrahamic covenant, which is unconditional, it is going to be fulfilled, going to be fulfilled? And that question is so important as we come to our text. Let's come back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we will now have the new understanding of this passage. This is what David's thinking of. This question of how is... God's covenant going to be fulfilled. How is God going to bless the nations of the earth through his offspring, through his seed? This is what the people of Israel are thinking when they hear. here. This is what Nathan the prophet is thinking of as he hears this vision from God. So let's read from verses 9 to 16, the Davidic covenant. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up offspring after you and your throne shall be established forever. So this is very exciting that we understand this now because we've been tracing this covenant that God has given to Abraham, that he'll bless the nations of the earth. And then we see, is this going to be fulfilled through the nation of Israel? No, it's not because they break the conditional covenant with God. So then we finally have it narrowed down to this, that, the, that God will bless the nations of the earth through the offspring of David. So let's go through this passage. We see that the offspring of David is an individual person and that they're going to build a temple and that um, they're going to be a physical seed of David and that when they sin, that God will discipline them with the stripes of men. And we've seen this through Solomon, right? You guys who know know your Bibles or have been studying Solomon recently, might say, oh, this is Solomon. because. He builds a temple and he's a physical seed of David. And when he sins against God, then God splits the kingdom up and gives Solomon only a portion because of David. So we see that punishment. And I'd agree with you that, yes, Solomon is close, but this is not fulfilled by Solomon. Because God clearly says that I'll establish his kingdom forever and that his throne will be established forever. And we don't see that. Through Solomon or the line of kings, do we? If you read the rest of 1 Kings, we see that the kings get progressively worse. Even at the end of Solomon's life, he's building these temples to these other gods. And then it deteriorates until finally we've got this guy, Manasseh, sacrificing his own children. And God says, Enough. I'm going to carry you away to exile. I'm going to destroy the temple. And that leaves the people of Israel for the next 600 years thinking, How is God going to fulfill this? promise of Abraham how is God going to bless the nations of the earth how is God going to rule on the throne forever how is he going to fulfill the Davidic covenant these are the questions going on in the minds of the Jewish people and these are now the questions going on in the minds of you guys now that you understand the Old Testament and these covenants that are coming through this comes to the third point which is a future fulfillment and this is where it's exciting Because when we come to the book of Matthew, when we come to the New Testament, the very first words of the New Testament, Matthew 1 verse 1 say, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And you think, yes, God is faithful to his promises. God does not forget the covenant that he has with his father, um, with father Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. He does not forget the Davidic covenant that Jesus is the son of David. And we see this because Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Where do you think David's born? Bethlehem. We see this as Jesus talks about this kingdom. It's 162 times in the gospels. Jesus talks about the kingdom, the kingdom that he'll one day rule for a thousand years and then on for eternity. And when Jesus is walking, no, he's not walking. He's on a donkey approaching the city of Jerusalem, David's capital of the kingdom the people are laying down palm branches on the road and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And that is reason to rejoice. So let's go back through from verse 12. Now that we understand the past, we can put that over top. Now that we understand the future, a blessing that even David didn't understand when he was being told this. Let's read verse 12 to 16. When your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up an offspring after you who will come from your body. Solomon came from his body, but Jesus did one better. He comes in two different lines from David's body. We've got Matthew 1 genealogy and Luke 3 genealogy. uh, Jesus is the offspring of David. And I'll establish a kingdom. He will build a house for my name. Jesus will build a house. It's in Ezekiel chapter 40 to 46. Jesus builds a temple for God. And it's a future promise. God says, I'll be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Jesus says, I'll do one better. He can be God the father and I'm God the son. And when he commits iniquity, I'll discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the son of men. These kings, they committed iniquity and they got punished for it. But I'll do one better. I'll be punished for the iniquity of all of you guys, even though I'm sinless myself. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This line of kings, they petered out after a few generations. But I'll be king forever on the throne of David. What a God that we have that he'll keep promises like this. And it doesn't end here. One more covenant that we won't turn to, but I'll just read out myself. It's called the new covenant. And it's also an unconditional covenant. It's called new because it's new. And it's a covenant because it's a promise or an agreement. And in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34, God says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, although I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I'll put my law within them and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will, de- for I will forgive their sin and I will remember their iniquity No more. This is an unconditional promise. God is going to stay faithful to this promise. This promise that is different from the covenant that they had, that he made with Moses. He says, I'm not giving you one of those conditional covenants that you guys can't even keep. I'm going to give you an unconditional covenant. He says, I'm not going to give you the law that you have to follow. I'm going to write the law on your hearts. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to forgive your iniquity. And remember your transgression no more. And while this is yet to be fulfilled through the literal nation of Israel, it is fulfilled spiritually through us. And we know this because Jesus said when he was handing out the Last Supper, he said, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is saying, He's connecting us, the church, to this promise. He's saying, I will remember your sin no more. I will give you the Holy Spirit. And what a God we have. So our final part is our present response. We learn two things. One about people and one about God. First, what do we learn about people? We learn that we're hopeless at keeping covenants. That as soon as there is a condition on it, our sin is going to cause us to miss that condition. We're not going to hit the mark. So people can't keep covenants. What do we learn about God? We learn that God is faithful. God is faithful to the Abrahamic covenant. He has provided a seed that will bless the nations of the earth. And there's still more blessing to come for the nation of Israel and for us on that covenant. He is faithful to the Davidic covenant. God has put someone on the throne. And there's still more future fulfillment as Jesus comes back and reigns for a thousand years. And the new heavens and the new earth will reign forever and he will be faithful to the new covenant. We can be sure that he has put his Holy Spirit within us. We can be sure that he has removed our iniquity and forgotten about our sin. And this should motivate us to be worshipful of him and to be um, inspired by his awe and his glorious and his marvelous plan. I'm not going to finish to pray, but to finish, I'm just going to read out what David's prayer was. So in the rest of chapter 7, you can follow along with me. David's prayer of gratitude. And maybe your heart feels something a bit like what David's was feeling after he heard this covenant. And he realized that God is faithful to his covenants. Second Samuel 7, verse 18 to 29. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Indeed, this was a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O God, for there is none like you. There is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name, and doing for them great and awesome things, by driving out from before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people, Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O God, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build your house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Amen. (laughs)